The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us this morning. At this hour, space is a precious commodity in New York City, particularly for the parents of young children. And as families grow, it can be a major hurdle to find and afford the room to accommodate them. Also at this hour, yesterday marked the 16th anniversary of September 11th, one of the greatest American tragedies of our day. Thousands of people died in New York City and Washington, D.C. at the hands of the most evil of terrorists. I will share my thoughts of that day with you in a moment. But first, I'd like to say hello to the panel. Welcome, my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate. Each week, we bring you all the news that is relevant to your real estate success, regardless of what part of the process you belong to. You can always email me here or at the show, at the show or at vrocco at halstead.com. <clears throat> okay, so here we go. On the most beautiful September morning in 2001, I was happy. I was back from a wonderful and peaceful summer in East Hampton, New York. I was tanned and I felt like I was on top of the world. I live in the greatest city in the world. I had a great job making a very good income. I have great friends, fantastic friends. I'm very close to my family. I had it all. I live in America, the United States of America, and I am immune to the world's unrest and conflict. That happens elsewhere, or so I thought. I arrived at the office at 8.25 a.m. on that Tuesday morning, fresh off the New York City subway system from the Upper West Side where I live. I got to my desk and was drinking coffee and preparing for several important meetings throughout the day. I was drinking that coffee and thinking when suddenly I glanced out of my floor-to-ceiling windows, I had a direct view of both towers at the World Trade Center. My office was on the 55th floor of a building a couple of blocks away on Exchange Place. All of a sudden, I rocked in my chair in a thunderous jolt. I dropped my coffee cup. I saw the most unbelievable burst of flame and fire in front of me, almost like a movie. It was so perfect and big and red and orange and yellow and real. Real. I was stunned. I saw paper and furniture and people being blown out of this picture. Many people flying in the air. I had no idea what had happened. The first plane entered from my west side tower, uh, west side of Tower 1. My view was from the east side, so you can only just imagine what that picture looked like. While we collected our thoughts, I got up to see who else was in the office so early. I didn't have to go far because they were all right behind me in my office because they heard the impact and came in to see what was happening. <clears throat> Many of us were just looking when less than 15 minutes later, we were startled by a very loud second noise, big sounding machine. We looked out our window which looked directly at the Hudson River, and we saw a very large plane at the window height racing down the river, aiming at Tower 2. On impact, my office rocked, and I fell backwards into the chair that I was sitting in prior. The impact was so loud and shocking that we all knew this was more than just an accident. I evacuated the office, and we headed out of the building and onto the street. This is where my life changed. 
I live in America where I'm safe and secure. This stuff ha- happens everywhere else. Again, so I thought, this day, this stuff was happening in my city and in my America. I cannot ever describe properly what took place for me over the next five hours. I was in war. I was running for my life. I was covered in ash. I tripped and fell. I helped people around me as everyone else was doing. We were under a plume of smoke and not able to see much or even hear much in the beginning. We were directed east towards the FDR Highway because the Henry Hudson Highway on the west side was under siege. We had to walk to our homes. I lived on Central Park West and 62nd Street in those days, and I just had to get there quick. On that journey, we had to scale two fences, run through riverbanks, as I watched many people give up and jump into the East River because they couldn't keep up. The journey was long and excruciating. Then the buildings fell, and the sound was deafening. Boulders and steel were tripping us at every turn. I fell over a piece of metal. The fighter fighter pilot planes above the plume were so loud, it sounded like we were being attacked more. Remember on the ground, we had no idea what was happening. Rumor on the street then was that World War III had begun, but no one knew why or where this was happening or why America was under attack. We lost all cell phone access and communications were lost for many hours until I got home five hours later and put on the TV. Then the second buildings fell as we were running and something hit me in my back. I still do not, do not know what it was when someone screamed. I just <clears throat> focused hard on survival. I got home. I was covered in ash from head to toe. My building doorman cried as I walked through the door because they knew I worked downtown but not quite sure where. I got to my apartment where I remained for seven days before I had the strength or the energy or the courage to leave. I was locked in and I watched the wall-to-wall coverage. Downtown was closed off for weeks, so I couldn't get to work anyway. The day finally ended and I had no understanding as to what had happened to my very peaceful and prosperous world. Why did life have to change? Why did so many Americans have to die? What was happening? Where was life heading? I didn't know. I do know that as I watched the fire I do know that as I watched the fire burn at ground zero for months to come, I knew that I was a New Yorker, I was an American, and the hell with these terrorists. They would never run me out of town. I love and call home. Sixteen years later I'm still here and still wanna be. I'm concerned with the world threats, but as I decided sixteen years ago, I'm a New Yorker and no one will make me leave. <clears throat> if my fate is to perish in a terrorist attack, so be it. This is my home. And we will be right back. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and I'm here with Louise Phillips Forbes from Hall State Real Estate, Matthew Cohen from Core, and Sean McPeak from Compass. And before we move on to our hot topics or our panel topics for today, just want to get some personal thoughts from you guys who may have been through the experience 9 11. <clears throat> it's been 16 years, it's, I still can't believe it. Um, and especially watching all this hurricane coverage over the past couple of days, it's like, wow, you know, you really think that people have issues. That was. A major one. But, you know, trouble is trouble, and we try to move on as best as we can and stay as positive as we can. But, Louise, where were you uh, on that day? I I think no matter where one was on that day, whether you're in New York City or not, everyone knows exactly where they were that moment, that day. And I really thought that we were under... I couldn't reach my sister for the whole day. I was on the phone with somebody we witnessed, he witnessed standing in his office. Um, he witnessed the first airplane and then we continued our conversation um, thinking, my God, what a terrible tragedy. I've got to figure out what that's about. Momentarily, we finished our conversation, but but at that time, the second airplane hit and we both just hung up the phone and we were all trying to discern what had transpired. Um, you know, for me, I, I lost three gentlemen that I dated over the years and probably nine very, very close friends just at Cantor Fitzgerald. And, um, you know, uh, and two clients that I was in contract with. So I, I just think that we're forever changed and that, you know, really understanding what freedom means. And I remember my father telling me stories who fought in the World War or World War II and, um, and really fighting for your freedom. So to really understand that and own it is really important. And I think as a New Yorker going through that experience as I did, um, it, it, it hardens you to whatever else may come next. It's like I said, I have the attitude, I don't care if that's my destiny to, to blow up in a terrorist attack. I'm a New Yorker. I'm not leaving anywhere, and I think survive. you survive, you never forget, you move on, but, you know, you always have those thoughts and memories. You guys have any personal memories of I mean, I, Yeah, I mean, I mean, I remember every moment of the day, and I was in high school when it happened, but, uh, you know, one of my, the teacher who I had at that point was in study hall, and um, he was like, the only teacher, they wouldn't really talk about it in the school, and this is before everyone had phones. So um, he was like downtown Manhattan's on fire, something with the World Trade Center. So I just <clears throat> borrowed his cell phone to call my parents, and uh, they had a meeting canceled in there that day. So it was just like one of those stories where they were supposed to be inside the building, 
you know, high on a high floor and, you know, just happened to be canceled. And I got, I didn't know they had a meeting there, but, you know, there, just but like, to no. the grace of God. Yeah. My mom was just like, I was, she, I mean, she didn't say she had a meeting. I mean, later on I found out they were supposed to be there, but, um, you know, when I spoke to her, like, no, we're in Jersey. So it was just, uh, you know, mind blowing. <laughs> You know, there was no info that day. It was it was a it was a different time. You know, there wasn't, and you know, getting home over that five hour <clears throat> journey on foot and and running and, and tripping and whatever, and when you finally and and not knowing anything, had no clue, it w- didn't necessarily even know it was the trade center. You know, I I, I saw it, so I, I mean, knew it had yeah. something to do with that. But the other people who were on the street didn't necessarily know. But anyway, all that long journey home until we put on the television and and realized, oh wow, this is what we just went through. This is what this day was all about. Yeah, it was yeah. staggering. You know, I thought. Um, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday. I just thought that uh, Mayor Giuliani did, you know, such a good job. Heroic. I mean, Amazing. he was like the president of the United States that day. Better. Uh, and, you know, he didn't, he didn't cancel school the next day. He didn't, you know, do anything. He, he could have shut down the country if he said so. You know? I attribute the successful aftermath of that horrible tragedy to him because what yeah. he did in that, in that moment and through those next several weeks and months which unbelievable just beyond. no one and no mayor has ever signed up for that it's crazy oh yeah. no of course not yeah i mean i was even younger than john i was in junior <laughs> high school and i remember i, oh, just I remember, really feel so old I, <laughs> and here I, I am working in corporate america yeah. <laughs> um i i just remember being very scared you know everyone was really scared i mean we're children we don't know what's going on we're just watching it on on TV, and my mom, for the majority of my life, uh, worked at the Travelers Building, which doesn't have the umbrella on it anymore, but, you know, where Citibank is on Greenwich, and um, I just remember being scared and not knowing what was going on, and if anything, I was just actually saying before we went on the air that I have a new listing in Battery Park, and yesterday morning I was showing it, and when I went, just walking over the highway to get there was... It's it's emotional, you know, but it, but it's emotional in a good way because I think anything like what that was, it just brings New Yorkers together. Someone, um, one of my bosses yesterday said something that I thought was really beautiful. She said that what makes New York so great is the mixture of how wonderful it is and how scary it is, and I think that's what. That's what brings everyone together here. I agree. And I think, as Louise said before, you know, strong or not, we are New Yorkers and we persevere, we move on. And I think what you just said is correct. I mean, we're all different. It's a melting pot of a lot of different people. There's an element of fear just in day-to-day life because it is a big old city. And then there's a lot that makes us happy. And that's the reason why we're here. Anyway, God bless everybody involved in that tragedy and in all of these recent tragedies of hurricanes. So let's move on and talk about real estate space is a precious commodity in New York City, particularly for the parents of young children and families that grow and they want to move on. But can they afford to? And where do they find bigger or better housing? The parents of a four-year-old and a one-year-old currently own a two-bedroom apartment, one bath on the Upper East Side, for example, and are wondering whether it's time to move to a larger home. They are unsure about the prospect of their next move and whether it would be worth it to move to a rental or buy again, considering the increase in space that they need. The couple would ideally like to find a three-bedroom apartment close to the park in a building with a live-in super or a doorman, though a two-bedroom with a separate dining room could work too. Because of their children, they prefer a building with an elevator or a first-floor apartment. Transit-wise, they're looking for a commute to their job downtown that would take no longer than 40 minutes. All right, so this is the wish list. This is the perfect 
you know, list of if I need to buy, if I need to move, if I need to upgrade, these are all the things I want or these are the things I need for my family. But then reality comes in and says, well, that may be priced too much. I can't afford it as a family right now, but do we want to stay in this small little space? Maybe we want to rent a bigger space because it's not as expensive as buying the bigger space. So when, when and we've all been there, when, when couples come to you, uh, clients come to you and ask your advice on what they should do, how do you approach that subject? Because it can be a very difficult subject to approach. Well, for myself today, I'm, my experience has been we are in an interest rate climbing environment and the niche of the market that they're focused on is going to be exactly the most affected. So my advice would be liquidate their asset and remember that Again, case by case, it really a lot depends on what they can get for their current apartment that they own. However, at the end of the day, they are a lot of opportunities right now. We've had a big reset in the market, and we have interest rates that are at a 30-year. Maybe it's not a 60-year low, but a 30- to 40-year low that is a, is a tremendous amount of buying power. And if they bought today, you can buy more today than less tomorrow. And so my advice, and again, remember that we really are not salespeople. We are educators. So educating to what someone's instinct feels right is what our job is. So that's sort of my take on that's that That's a very advice. important point. We're not salespeople. We're not pushing property just to push property and to earn a living. We're consultants. We're, we're you know, the, the guidance counselors and, and the coaches to help people understand what they can buy, what they can afford, what they cannot afford, etc. Uh, and I, that's one of the things I enjoy most in, in my role as a, as a real estate consultant. And, and I will just say, just to add to that, in, uh, in, Ju- in June this past year, just this past summer, we put together 16 transactions that in less than 30 days, well, actually in 32 days. And um, nine of those were three-bedroom apartments from a million three ninety-five to a million six seventy-five. So there are opportunities that are out there. Wow. Some need renovations, some need nothing. Right. But the point is that it's a matter of educating them. I also love the subject of families and growing families because I think it's what makes our the city that we do what we do um, in so interesting because it's really kind of figuring it out. You know, it's I, like a puzzle. Yeah, I like the idea that you know these people can't just buy a big house and you know um, live like in different sectors of the house. They really have to live in close close quarters and figure it out. And I like you know the different ideas from you know a very. Uh, I guess consistent thing that I see are, are, you know, parents put two kids in a bedroom, they take the master. And then when the kids get a little too big, they actually swap rooms with them because the master is bigger. They don't need a huge room, of course. And then they put the two in the master. And then, um, you know, people making two bedrooms into three bedrooms. And, you know, one that I see also a lot, especially in the last year to two years, is people pushing their neighborhood comfort you know, because think of all the people on the Upper West Side, Very even since since like, you know, the, you know, no offense, Sean, but like Louise and Vince and I are all, you know, big Upper West Siders. Like think of all the people on the Upper West Side who have pushed into Harlem because they needed more space. And, you know, that's I think you're going to continue to see that, actually. I think with all the talks of the Bronx and the whole zoning of East Harlem, I think you're going to see pushing. I mean, I really think that uh, kind of like the name of the game in New York real estate is compromise. Even if you're spending $50 million on an apartment, you could come down the street and you could have, you know, 
beggars or whatever, you know, sirens, things, you know, things going on. It's New York City. There are always going to be compromises and trade offs. Yeah, it's you always have a, a checklist of 22 things and you're going to get 19. But I think the biggest compromise, in the, and I'm glad Matt brought it up because I was going to say the same thing, I think it is neighborhood choice sometimes. We all start in a particular neighborhood because right. we think that that's where we want to be, our wish list, so to speak. Well, it's like the most and obvious. Then and then, like, or it's like, you know, okay, maybe I'll just get into a co op instead of a condo and right. maybe I'll get into some crazy co op. You know, higher down payment or, you know, higher maintenance or something. And then, yeah, that's that's like a really common one I see compromise, people compromise on, especially people who don't understand like a land lease, for instance. And you just have some building that's just, you know, it's like a, it's like Medusa, you know. <laughs> I just I just we I just sold an apartment in Long Island City first for me uh, to a client of mine uh, who I just sold his apartment in um, Midtown West. And same scenario, wanted to upgrade into a larger apartment, price points in Midtown West or on the island of Manhattan, just a bit higher than in Long Island City. So the intelligent decision they made was to, look, the commute into Manhattan is not that bad from LIC, so maybe this is the right move. It turns out the building is spectacular. The apartment is spectacular. I can't probably get like a view, a minute. Like you know, you the you get yeah. When you do the spectacular. Right. I mean, yeah, the neighborhood. Yeah, switching. I mean, totally switching the neighborhood, pushing that neighborhood is definitely where you're gonna get. So they were, you, want. They, you know, for them, they're pioneering a new, a new uh, environment, a new town, a new area, but it's not so far away from Manhattan proper. And they're they're extremely happy because they're keeping within their budget. They're getting a bigger apartment but almost for the same budget. So yeah, I mean, I it's think, a lot of work to come up with that strategy for them and to work it out, but it right. can happen. I think I think LIC is going to kind of mirror Midtown West too with I all the stuff totally that's going agree. on because they have like micro brews and Agreed. like cool brunch spots. I mean, no, it's I was, like really, I was blown over when I saw yeah. some sections, especially the, and, I guess the northern section, the older section of LIC. Oh my God. Yeah, like near the courthouse and Correct. near yeah, Court Square. Also on an emotional side, like I always, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm Jewish myself and, um, you know, obviously a big Jewish value is family. And I always like to talk to my clients about how, you know, when I lived in the Netherlands, um, the Dutch are also very family oriented. And they always talk about how it's actually a really nice thing to live in close quarters. And, you know, you become, seriously, you become really close to your <laughs> family. Awesome. Like I've never, like, I've never been a big fan of these huge houses. And, and I think it's really nice to live in close quarters when you're raising children, especially. So, so I always like, say to people that are squeezing a little bit, I'm like, I think you'll like this in the long Co- run. Cause it'll, yeah, it'll, it'll make you closer with your kids or it'll completely tear you apart, but hopefully the tearing apart will bring you back together. And if you survive it, <laughs> if you survive it then, then you're in good shape. All right, so moving on. It's an old saw at this point (laughs) that New York City real estate is one of the safest investments one can possibly make on the heels of this conversation. In fact, this reasoning is often used to explain the popularity of our city's market with foreign buyers looking for places to stash their cash. Our market has a history of trending upwards and tends to be less volatile than real estate in other cities. But buying an apartment is a lot more complicated than snapping up some stocks or stashing, stashing cash in an index fund, for example, and... It can take a number of years before potential price appreciation on your home outweighs the upfront cash you laid out in order to buy it. How long then, my the infamous question, how long then does it take for you to start seeing value in your current purchase? Is it one year, three years, five? The, the old I mean, the rule of thumb is five I, to seven I years mean, in New York. It's 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 the it next changes. guy. It's the next guy who comes in and pays more. And then I, they I, then they help you, then you get there. I yeah. think, you know, one of the questions that, you know, we have to re- one of the things that we have to remember one of the reasons why large development projects are so there's such a magnet of opportunity because the first guy that signs the contract in a big development project 
is is the biggest risk taker. Absolutely. So they are going to be getting a time value of money deal so that when an 18-month construction, somebody signs a contract 18 months earlier, they're I mean, one would hope their asset will be worth sometimes 25% to 30% more. So it's one of the reasons why we see the pattern of people being drawn and being opportunistic, not necessarily to flip their homes, but to be in the ground of a new development project. But I think that, you know, purchasing, most most people have the mindset of, of buying a home. There are those individuals that are opportunistic. I mean, take a look at the whole townhouse market for the last 15 years, which is still undervalued in my opinion, where you have contractors in 2009 when contractors actually had no development work and no projects, they would actually go out and buy the you know townhouses. And now today, some of them have flipped multiple of them. Not to digress, I mean, I just want to ask a question about that, Louise, because I agree with you. But so, so where where are we? What what is the status of the the townhouse market right now? Well, it's lagging in this right new, in now. This new as as the Uber luxury market um, has been resetting, um, the you know thirty eight hundred dollars per square foot is a little more difficult to accomplish. Um, but you're going to see they are, uh, I mean, I have a townhouse that's 9,100 square feet on off of Park Avenue on 82nd Street that is $1,880 a foot. That is remarkable. And it's completely renovated. So this, so, so the remarkable. shift in the market, you know, one of, we always say the cycle is that one person's, you know, obstacle is another person's opportunity, and I think that's what we are experiencing on the resetting of the Uber market. So we should, as brokers, should recognize and and see that we have an opportunity for the next eighteen you know, I kind months. Of, I kind of look at a townhouse market, and you know, I think I think people that you know come from older generations see the value of having their own piece of property, and you know, maybe they have their own security or help or whatever. But I, I kind of feel like there might be a time when people kind of get tired of like the Uber luxury towers, and they're like, I don't want to see like 90 people a day in my lobby. I just want to have my own house. And I think I can see the townhouse market coming back. I mean, listen, it's, I, it's only 1% of our entire market, one to three families, and that's including Harlem. Yeah. It's 10,800 um, uh, townhouses. And in to me, that's, I think, an, a very small commodity for the preservation for value. So I actually think another reason for why the townhouse market's not doing well is that I actually kind of disagree. I, I think that the world has shifted to a new place where people want more luxury and they don't feel that that market that is buying townhouses have houses elsewhere and they don't want the maintenance of having a house. And I think right, you, but, but do you, you know what I mean? Realize like, that we're talking only about 1% no, of the market. Definitely. So I mean, I, but, but still like there's a lot of townhouses out there, you know, I, of the market though. That's true. I think, I think if you ask brokers like, you know, Patricia Wheatley and Nikki Fields and Paula Denunzio, I think they would all say the same thing that, you know, they're seeing a lot less people who are actually interested in townhouses. But I think your t- I think a lot of those townhouse buyers from the past have moved to more, you know, of no, just luxury, newer. It, it is, but I think that some of these people that get in get into these um, these huge apartments and these towers um, find out quickly it's not all, it's not all it's cracked up to be. And uh, they get tired of it. You know, you look at like one fifty seven, I mean that place has been getting gutted. 
you know, on you know dollar value, and you know on the, the dollar value. Well, on, because they 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 I mean, paid an unsustainable number. There, there, there are three foreclosures paid, happening there. Yeah, yeah, fifty yeah. million dollar foreclosure. I mean, twenty million, and they have, by the way, a hundred percent leveraged. It is a hundred percent of well, debt. I also this wonder is what one of the reasons for the reset of the marketplace over yeah. the last couple of years, the Uber luxury marketplace, because prices just took the 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 wave that went, you know. Way up to the sky with prices. Unsustainable. It's unsustainable. I mean, always unsustainable. In, in the past, you could pay a record price and expect to make money, like a 15 CPW. But when you're paying 8000 that was a, that was foot, a gem, though. You're not. Yeah, but I mean, because everybody. That, the prices were high then, but they weren't. That you could high. say, but no, I agree with Sean. Gem. I think that there, are, I think there are gems like 15 CPW and like you know Walker Tower that have been built within the last two years that are just not going to do what they did. Like I think, I think two twelve fifth is a gem. Yeah. That is not going to have the same reaction. It's not going to double 15th. in value, though. Right, exactly. Right. It's, it's not going to double in value. 15 CPW came out at the right time, in right. the right place, to triple and quadruple in value and over time. Well, and, co- to your, and to and your it, point, and I think is... recession. And then just yeah. to like completely come full circle to your point of right timing, I think we need to be careful of what we say about you know making a profit on your purchase and how a lot of the news and the press and us even say five to seven years, because I don't think that's true anymore. I think that it depends on the timing. And I think that, you know, like to whenever people ask that question, I'm, I always say, hey, people who bought right before the downturn, who paid top dollar in 2007, um, you know, they saw a profit in like 2012. Um, but, you know, if someone's buying maybe a year ago, I don't know if you're going to see a profit in five I years. Think it's so, so, I think Let's hold the thought. We have to take a break. Right. Uh, you're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. <laughs> I got a lot to say Don't on that. go away. Break it up. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Yeah. All right, everybody, we are back with Louise Phillips Forbes from Hall State Real Estate, Matthew Cohen from CORE, and Sean McPeak from Compass. And just before the break, we were talking about 
how long do you keep a house or a, a property here in New York City, an apartment, before you see an increase in value, et cetera. And we've got into a little digression here well, of the sorry. townhouse market, but that's okay. I was interested in hearing where we were going, today. Going back to value and, and how long one should hold their home, I think that, that the most important thing for listeners today is that you're buying a home first and foremost. Correct. Number one. Number two, um, I have paid the highest purchase price for the apartment I currently live in, the first the first uh, apartment that I bought there, and then I bought the apartment above it, which I paid also the highest purchase price in the record of the building, and then I put a million dollars of renovations in it. I paid the highest purchase price for my beach house uh, in Bridgehampton on Butter Lane at that time, and I paid the highest purchase price in Woodstock when I bought the house that my my father, but that my uh, husband's mother lives in, and I think it's really about what works for you, and you can't buy, it's not like you're buying a stock. You're buying something that has multiple factors. One, it's a user asset, which in itself is not a tangible value. Right. I mean, it's a not a, it's not something that one can actually price. So I think that keeping centered and focused about your primary purpose is what we should keep focused on. And check in with your broker. You have a relationship with your broker. Check out in 18 months. Hey, what do you think? What is it looking like? What's my, I, I do this all the time. And sometimes they're like, all right, we are going to be opportunistic. We want to buy a beach house. I'm going to sell this place that you sold me, and I'm going to take a million and a half out of it, and I'm going to buy a smaller apartment in the city and buy a beach house in in the Hamptons. So that's the problem solving. But it's not like you buy it with an intention of flipping it. I agree with you 100%. But wait, 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 and I know you're going to disagree with me, but I have to, I have to we just like say to it. Yeah, no, like I um, see two different perspectives. Like I will say, I think that even though I agree with that, it's a very theoretical way of looking at it. And, and even though you will have examples, I'm sure the reality of today is that everyone buying in New York City is looking at it not only as a home, unfortunately. They're looking at it as an investment. They're looking at it as how should. many years and is it going to take me. And I think so it's, it's because of how the market has moved like, like so significantly up. Right, exactly. so much money through the years. But I do agree, though, that anyone buying in any price point should really, first and foremost, consider it your home. But you just said Life the word. Changes. But you just said the word should. And well, that's where a theoretical comes into okay, place because it's a should. It, it, reality right. is people are wondering what <laughs> it's, is going to happen. Okay. So, all right. I, I'm going to just talk about 2016, the last six months of 2016 when we had a pause button similar to the 2009 pause button that <laughs> we had. Pause that, you know, listen, people were not pulling the trigger, one, because they weren't sure about the confidence in our presidential, the presidential election process, but also the stock market was so volatile. But in January of 2017, all of those people liquidated their assets to purchase a home. And so the growth in their assets from the stock market and not renting or selling their asset and rebuying for the interest rate lock for the next decade is where everybody that I'm working with is focused on. Yeah, but I can guarantee you every single person that did pull the trigger in January 2017 in the back of their mind was wondering, how long do I need to own this? What's the investment you know, financial situation? They were all thinking about it. And I think I think also, you know, the, the Wall Streeters or the finance people or the spreadsheet people, as I call them, really kind of look at whatever they're purchasing with a little more, you know, fine glass uh, as they should as they should and you know because the market has been so volatile the stock market has been so volatile you know they want to just make sure and i go through it uh, you know all the time as we all do they want to make sure that all their 
checks and balances are okay, their I's are dotted, their T's are crossed, and if that spreadsheet says to them that in a year, five or six, seven, I'm going to make money, then they're going to pull the trigger. I've seen more of that hesitation today than in any market I've been in in 15 years. And it's also for you know other reasons than just an emotional standpoint. It's right. also because closing costs these days are so much more than they were. You know, new, new development, right? Sure. Like New York is really getting people these days, and you know, not only are you getting hit on just closing costs per the state, you're also getting hit so much on closing costs with the bank. Like anyone who's buying an apartment with a mortgage, your mortgage tax these days is pretty high. high. So like the people who are buying all cash also have so much more, not only power and leverage when it comes to competition, but have power in knowing that they're not paying as much upfront because that mortgage buyer who's only putting a certain percentage down, when they then see that the mortgage tax is usually around 2%, especially if they're doing a new development, they are definitely thinking about the long term of this, like what is going on in a few years. All right, moving on along the same lines, the prime Upper East Side neighborhood, which stretches from East 59th Street to East 96th Street and from Fifth Avenue East over to Lexington Avenue, had long been considered the most prestigious place to live in New York City. In the days before Billionaire's Row on 57th Street, as we talked about before, Grand Pre-War Co-op on one of the neighborhood's Avenues was the ultimate trophy property. It used to be the only game in town. If you needed a 5,000-square-foot space, a really large, beautiful apartment, your only option was to buy in in a fancy building on either uh, Park Avenue or Fifth Avenue. But with new development condominiums springing up all over the city, the east side's pricey co-ops are facing some stiff competition. Very important. Luxury co-ops have been falling out of favor with buyers in the city for years, according to more than a dozen industry sources. Is this a trend or a seismic shift in residential preference? I mean, th- th- this is a this is a biggie. Co-ops, very fashionable Upper East Side, larger apartments, very trendy, family-sized apartments. Now, all of a sudden, you know, things are switching to. And I'm kind of, you know, when I read this story, I was like, well, I understand the condomania, but we all know as real estate agents in this town that. Some of the larger apartments in this town are in co-ops, and they're yes. on these fancy are, blocks yes. because but, you're not going to get 9, 10, 12 rooms in a condo. But I think that when with, with the reign of sort of the country club, one-stop living, luxury living experiences <clears throat> that came in with 15 Central Park West, um, I think that it started to create a choice for individuals where they don't have to be pigeon-held by 100% cash requirement buildings by no wet over dry Your family or the, tree. Or, the, <laughs> or or 740 parks summer rent, summer, summer rules, rules yeah. you know people don't want to be they're not going to tolerate yeah. that anymore and i think this is going to be an opportunity for the smart boards that don't operate with ego to adjust their way of thinking. They, I mean, some have. I mean, like the Sherry Netherland and, you know, some, uh, I forget the Egyptian guy's name who bought um, for something for like $77 million, He bought it from Woody Johnson. Maybe yes. it was at 740 oh, Park. Yes. 740 Park. Yeah, it was. Park, That's right. seven, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you have these. Well, 740 hasn't changed that policy at this point. I, I don't, I don't I mean, see, like, I don't, in my lifetime, I don't see that changing over there I anyway. Mean, you, but, well, but we're talking about the same thing, just insane co-op board policies that, uh, kind of reject these ultra luxury buyers that are becoming more flexible because they have to compete with, you know, I the mean, 1100 Park that, Avenue converted, just changed after three years of consulting from an all cash building to allowing 50% financing because people were doing negative pledge anyway and leveraging and margining their brokerage accounts that have 80 million in them. So 
Why? Why? Why this? So we're all in agreement. Then basically, it's not just a trend here. This is a seismic. This has been going on in our industry here. It's been going on since the since two thousand and seven eight when Fifteenth uh, Central Park West. So you're saying that that kind of I think started it all. absolutely is started. And, and, the, and the price of money. I mean, who's gonna? I mean, any finance—you know, anybody in finance is going to want to take a loan, even if they don't have to. I mean, that's that's all my clients have gotten. Well, the, the cost of money today is so free. Yeah, I, I, I did a I did a deal for two point six, and uh, the guy got one point eight seven interest. On oh my god! Yeah, he's he was like a partner at Goldman, but um, formally, but he got a private loan. You know. Leveraging his brokerage accounts, whatever. Why you know. wouldn't you do that? I mean, oh, it, of course. the cost of money is, is, is almost free. This guy's making money. Yeah. I mean, he's so and that's. You don't touch your capital, for, you know, when you have it for the exa- So even if you have the money, it's, the, you know, they feel people in that industry feel it's completely irresponsible not to leverage it appropriately. It's a waste. And in support of what Louis said, I think it's really exciting. You know, I think this whole thing with co op boards changing throughout the years is a very exciting thing because and I think I think it's also has to do with the fact that you know it's generational I, I you know give it 10 to 20 years every, every 10 to 20 years there's definitely going to be a shift in these buildings that is generational of you know people getting off the board that were on the board for right. example um, newer younger people and right. I that is very exciting especially with where our world's going which is a world that is getting out of finance and going more into tech and going more into interesting industries and I think it'll make co-ops that much um, more attainable and more. Um, they have to be exciting. competitive because it's you know five thousand square foot apartment. Well, I can find like you know a hundred of those. Louise, you you're very successful, obviously, as a, as a broker in this town for many many years. And you, what is the split in your business? Fifty fifty co op condo, sixty forty. I mean, because I know you do a lot of both. Well, I do a lot of development work. Right. So, um, but that is that comes in waves. Um, I would say it's probably sixty co op. 40 condo. All right, so when you're 60%, give or take. And if, I mean, that's measuring about 100 transactions a year. Yeah, uh, and that's a lot for, co- for a co-op business. That's a lot for any business. But in the meantime, what, you know, what, I, I mean, do you really see a lot of these boards lightening up a little bit? I think to Matt's point, uh, over I, time, you know, the older folk on these boards are going to be retiring, moving on. Matt and, and I just had our own in. issue with a board, you know, together that we go. had to... You know, I think through cultivating a personal relationship on the board, we were able to get them to kind of rise above this posture that they were holding, which was not really, quite frankly, reasonable. Um, I have a meeting uh, with the board on Wednesday where I am coming in and I'm talking to them about the the messaging that they need to provide to their owners, therefore the people who come in to buy, because they've, they've communicated the wrong message. and And it's not... You know, I hope, I mean, I'm going to speak my truth, and I've done it with a number of buildings. This is my fifth West End Avenue board that I've consulted that I am going in and I'm walking them through why they should allow through the wall air conditioning, why they should allow washer dryers, why they should allow combinations. I mean, buildings preventing people from combining apartments because they don't want any, any one person to have too many shares. Well, that's based on the wrong reason. Or, or they I, just I don't want to have do a, Sometimes they don't board. want someone with a nicer apartment. You know, sometimes it's, well, it's really. Just, it's, it's but really it all bad. has it, to be from the right to, position. Right. Yeah. I had the same conversation with a condo board last year or maybe a year and a half ago. Sort of kind of had to read them the riot act because they were getting, and I sell in this building all the time, they were getting way too full of themselves and started implementing co op requirements. And a lot of co op requirements. And, and 
owners in the building were raising their hands saying, whoa, board members, what is going on here? And, you know, at one point, if you weren't getting a certain uh, price per square foot, they were not going to let the deals go through. And they actually bought back one unit. So I hope I was able to get my message across because it's been a little better this year. Anyway, we have to go to break. We are live from Blastar Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Aliens with Gas is the program you're listening to. We are the Extraterrestrial Rock Show, airing every Saturday afternoon on the VoiceAmerica.com Variety Channel. And we're going to play the rest of the Uli John Roth interview on our overtime. And I dig that because you're doing the, the Brady Bunch thing, aren't you? I am. Because <laughs> I have a, a theremin app right. on my phone. So it's not, you know, a real theremin. If anybody knows the Brady Bunch, what I'm talking about. Keep watching the skies. That's every Saturday right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Louise Phillips-Forbes, Matthew Cohen, and Sean McPeak. We just finished talking about co-ops, and I want to get into new developments a little bit again. A huge part of New York City real estate is the constant stream of new development, whether it is ground-up new construction or a conversion of an existing rental building, it seems like new apartments become available every day, and the pipeline apparently is enormous going into 2018. A good New York City broker should constantly be aware of new development inventory to be effective, where in the past you really didn't have to because, I mean, I'm in the business before new developments really even were anything in this town. It's equally important to understand how these sales come to market and the sales process that follows. Why is new development so highly coveted? We talked about this a little bit when we were talking about co-ops, but what so, is it about new condo development that is so desirable to most buyers these days out in the marketplace? I think that that uh, there are um, a variety of developments that may attract different individuals. But um, from my experience, and I've done over 30 of them, um, my projects actually became anchors for new frontier neighborhoods. If you look at 50 Madison Avenue, when it was the only residential game in town, and it was like a little tiny nine-unit boutique building 
that was dangling over the park that had, you know, 2,700 square foot apartments, one apartment per floor, key lock elevator. And, you know, with that little building, Mickey Natala did the gift building. You then had one Madison. You then had, you know, 15 East 26th Street, now the toy building. So that little building became the anchor to, to really change that neighborhood. And so for one of my buyers in that building, they purchased at 50 Madison, then they purchased at 1 Madison, and then they purchased at 15, and now are at the toy building. And they, the amount of money that they've made on that sort of risk opportunity uh, was pretty tremendous. Do those two penthouses um, sell ultimately at the toy, uh, toy building? There were, I think, two left. I think Nikki had one. I can't remember. Or maybe she had both of them. I can't remember. I don't remember. Yeah, I but, don't remember, but but I but don't. no, I mean to Louise's point, like it really it it shapes neighborhoods, and and I think people love, um, you know, getting in when something is new, when it's no one's ever been lived there before. No one loves them that more than New Yorkers. Um, Explain you, to me what you mean by shapes neighborhoods. I agree with you, but there's also a negative to that. Yeah, well, no, I, I mean, hey, historically, New Yorkers have fought new developments a lot of times, you know, it commun- not communities, but neighborhoods, we always talk about it, like neighborhoods fight developers sometimes on how tall they can build, what they're building, things like that. But at the end of the day, they wind up being really good for the neighborhood. You know, they right. wind up bringing in new people. They wind up either starting, yeah, new retail, starting gentrification, continuing gentrification. Um, you know, look at Harlem. Like, I, it's continued to be shaped by these new projects that are really wonderful. Um, you know, I was actually, I took a few minutes on Sunday as a, when I was really tired at the end of the weekend. And I was like at the end of the night, half asleep, looking at the 40 new projects coming to market on yeah, Curbed. Yeah. And it's actually, I it's think it's astounding re- when you look at that. But it's exciting. You know, in the past, is a lot of my clients and a lot of people have always said, you know, there's a lot of new development out there that's not different from each other. They're very consistent. Like, you know, a lot of them is just cookie cutter and similar sizes in terms of, you know, size of buildings, like 100 to 200 units. Similar there's, a, there's a really big spectrum these days. Developers making a big deal and making different projects. And, and nothing's, you know, the 40 <laughs> projects in that list are a telltale sign of that. Like you have, talk about like convent area near City College. They're doing two developments up there. Uh, I think the Kranzes are doing them. I love the Kranzes at Halstead. And um, that's an area that has never had a new project. So that's so exciting. Louise, do you fear, though, with these 40 projects coming out again, because you've done so much new development, that these developers aren't going to get the pricing right? Because I think we all agree in this particular marketplace, and as we talked about earlier in the show today, the Uber prices that went completely out of control up to the sky, sky's no limit. Now we're seeing that we've gone through a period of the land prices a couple of years ago were so incredibly high that developers had no choice but to price the the price per square foot higher for each apartment building. That's leveled off a little bit, but with these forty units come these forty buildings coming out. Where are these developers in the purchase of the land? Are they still with the old prices, or do they buy the well, new? Well, I think they vary, but I think you're going to find that things that were happened on acquisition that are not to the market yet. At the end of fourteen and through fifteen, you know some of those are going to be lost and yeah. and be opportunistic for other developers to purchase and take over. But I think the diversity of product started a long time ago um, when the writing on the wall of the acquisitions of all what was happening on Central Park South. 
Um, you know, I have five projects that I'm working on right now. Um, I mean, I've got a couple in Brooklyn and we are creating something very unique on one of my sites where I'm creating five townhouses. I'm excavating for parking for those townhouses and on the other side of the lot or the spot of the other side of the street, um, because it's a through block um, project, we'll have a 21-unit condominium. And that, to me, is a very interesting dynamic that I haven't worked on before. And and secondly, I'll also just say that for myself, I specialized or I have specialized in a number of conversions. So if we look at the Upper West Side and my buildings that I've converted from 498 West End Avenue, 220 West 93rd Street, all these buildings that converted with 20 to 40% sold on the initial offering for the next decade I've had two to three apartments that come available and those increase in value tremendously so I feel that um, that and none of those are are investor units those are all user units so I, I really think the <clears throat> the answer to the question kind of what we're just to wrap it up um, is that the the buyer who wants something new people are more design conscious right now than they've ever been before. Um, Agreed. When I started in 2009, the main difference between 2009 and today is that the buyer is much better educated. And, you know, you could attribute it to Street Easy, but you can... 2009, that's a tough year to start. I was just thinking that. Wow. I was like running into a burning building. Financial crisis. (laughs) Here we come. (laughs) Yeah, I did my penance then. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, for me, it's, I've had people walk in and they understand, you know, they understand finishes, they understand ceiling heights are important. You know, natural light is just something people are always naturally attracted to. Pretty sophisticated Uh, questions that they're asking. For much sure. more people people As are I hitting the na- before, hammer they they are asking and looking with a much more detail they're absorbing information detail. they're on you know instagram is pushing is pushing things like i was showing 250 bowery <clears throat> yesterday and 250 bowery nearly sold out because of instagram posts from frederick eckland i mean people are looking at images and looking at design and just you know they have awesome ideas i mean you know, like some people come in, renovate an apartment, they butcher it. People are actually like coming in and doing it on their own and doing a good job, like in some cases now. It's but in terms of pricing, you're seeing a lot of, when you look at these new developments coming to market within the next year, you're seeing a lot of, you know, developers that are pricing based on the neighborhood. They're not pricing based on their own, you know, thoughts. They're they're like, you see, you know, the, the higher price per square foot that you're going to see is along the high line, like the Tamarkin building and the Schvo building on 24th and 10th. Like these well, are the high higher is, price yeah, per square foot. Yeah. Whereas, you know, projects coming out in Harlem and the Upper West and the Upper East, they're more in the line with what yeah. is going on in the neighborhood. And that's where the city needs to be. You can't, you know, you can't have these developers coming in anymore and going to like throw something in the Lower East Side at 3,000 a square foot, way above anyone else. That, well, that's not where, productive. Where you, see those, <laughs> where you see the price per square foot at, you know, 2,800, 3,000, and $3,600 a foot, that's where they purchased the land a while ago at very high prices. And so they've got to make up for that somewhere. And I worry that <clears throat> there are only so many price reductions that you can have in some of these buildings that have overpriced to begin with. Now what happens? Because, and as Louise said earlier in the show, you know, you're the first person in a building to buy a, a very expensive apartment, it's a risk. And so if they can't finish selling out the rest of the building, what goes on? You know, so I, I, I pray that in this new development uh, arena that we're all involved in, that, you know, prices get back to safe levels where people feel comfortable in purchasing. I'm back in new development again, as I've been saying, and I, you know, it used to be a slam dunk 
to sell an apartment. It used to be a slam dunk, whether it was off of floor plans or whether it was actually on-site visiting a unit. Yeah. Now it's extremely complicated. And for all the reasons we talked about you know, uh, on this program today, but we've got to get to the point where our reset, which we've been going through for the last year, is going to make the difference. Anyway, we're out of time. That is our show for today. Thank you to my guests and panel as always. Until next time, please be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 